Welcome to the Better Questions Podcast. This is episode number nine, and today we're asking, am I broken? And uh, it's been a little bit since we last released an episode, and I apologize for that. This is going to be the second to last episode of the season, and uh, shortly we'll be releasing the last episode of the season. And we really hope that you guys have enjoyed these episodes as much as we've enjoyed making them. And uh, just to give you a little heads up, we're going to take a break after season one for a little bit. Um, and we'll let you know when season two will be starting up. In between season one and season two, we'll be starting actually a social media page for the podcast. And so it'll be a lot easier for you guys to like and share uh, because you'll be able to follow and um I don't know how social media works, actually. I don't know the right words, but you'll be able to follow us somehow, become our friend. I don't know, like Through it. this thing called the interweb. Right. You'll be able to follow us uh, and interact with us a lot better. And we actually would love to generate more of a dialogue between us and you, our listeners. And so it'll be an easier place for you to be able to send us questions or to give us even possible episode topics you'd like us to cover. And if you have problems or critiques, you can find us at Chris Nelson. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So yeah, this is episode nine. We're asking, am I broken? And it's a little bit of a different question for us than our normal one. This, um, really was birthed out of an experience Chris had, a conversation he had with a student, and uh, he'll talk more about that in the episode. But uh, this one turned out to be really something special, and so uh, I really hope that you enjoy episode nine, Am I Broken? So the other day I was talking with a person and they kept using this phrase over and over and over again that really stood out to me. And the phrase that they kept saying was, I'm broken. I'm just so broken. Well, I'm doing this because I'm broken. And for some reason, it it wasn't sitting right with me. And so as as I considered it, and began talking with this person, I finally stopped and I said, can you change your language for me for a moment? And I'll say, I have a close relationship with this person, so I could talk to them like that in a way that wasn't mean or rude. And I finally just said, you are not broken. Stop saying that. But since that conversation that question has been running over and over in my mind. Like, am I broken? Are we broken? Is that an accurate thing to say? Was it right for me to feel strongly against that statement? Or is that a correct statement? What was it in you that made you initially tell that person that they're not broken? 
Or what was the initial pushback that your mind gave to this person saying they were broken that made you so adamant that you had to communicate that they're not broken? So what I was feeling as they were saying this was a, a low sense of self, like a, a lowness in self-worth and value of personhood in the statement, I am broken. I was noticing almost an acceptance of defeat of, well, this is just the way things are. There's nothing I can do about it. And also an extreme pushback in me of just, isn't that true? Like, are we broken? If I'm, if I'm created in the image of God, if I'm a creation of the creator, am I broken? And is that a helpful question or a helpful category? Which I think is, again, another reason why I'm wondering if maybe this question and this category isn't the most helpful, because what, what a theologian might say they mean when they use the term broken or brokenness, I don't think is what everyone means when they use it in regards to themselves. But I also think that in this particular conversation, I heard a reference to my behavior and the, the way that I view myself, that I am broken. For me, when you first told me that story, it elicited out of me frustrations that having worked in student ministry that a student would feel that way because I think in the church we've really grabbed onto words and images of human fallenness and brokenness and maybe held on a little too tightly to what the scriptures are saying about that. And there are a lot of people I know in the church who will just readily say things like, well, I'm just a broken, wretched sinner. Like if it wasn't for Jesus, there's nothing good, redeemable, anything about who I am without that. And I've even seen like memes on Facebook where it's like a picture of a goat in a hole. And it says me without God, like there's no, there's nothing redeemable. I can't get out of this hole without God. And then it's a picture of a harness on the goat being lifted out. And it's like me with God. And I get where that's coming from. I do. I've lived in the world. I'm a human being. I understand frustrations of, you know, as Paul says, there are the things I want to do and know I ought to be able to do. And then I don't. But I think how I frame this is, do you believe, do we believe that at our core, at the very essence, when you distill everything down, are we irredeemable or is it more like there's a whole bunch of junk on the top, but when you really get down to it, there is a foundation with Christ. And it's kind of like if you have a piece of technology, there are some pieces of technology that if you open it up and you start working on it, you're like, oh, there's nothing I can do to this. 
nothing. I have to throw it away. Or is it, well, yeah, there's some things messed up in here, but it, but there's a core here that we can salvage. And I think this conversation comes back to, is humanity the, the first example of, well, when you really get down to it, you can't salvage the ship. You can't. Or is it, well, there's a whole bunch of junk and bad things going on, but right there in the heart is something, there is an innate godness there's an innate connection to the divine in us and i think either one is going to make certain people uncomfortable how you answer it and i find that very fascinating my question would be one just at our core is this a helpful category to talk about but then two once once we experience jesus then what happens to the brokenness because i still consistently hear christians Yep. who have experienced Jesus still refer to themselves as broken. Yeah, like if you, you get saved, it's all great, and the first big mistake you make, you go, well, I'm broken. I'm still, a sinner. I'm a sinner. Yeah, I know, I know lots of Christians who have, you know, considered themselves Christians for years, and the first way they identify themselves is, well, I'm a sinner. I'm a wretched sinner. And... I would I would like to push back on that. Like why why do we cling on to that those adjectives? Why do we cling on to those titles well after we proclaim that Christ has saved us? And I think that's worth exploring. Keeping this a little abstract before we make it more concrete. Something also you said um in your little monologue that I enjoyed earlier Andrew. Um was this idea that you know, the goat in the hole, me without God. It, it, it evokes in me this, this idea of like, um, if left to their own devices, if, if God somehow removed his presence from the earth, would humanity like see a difference? Would right. we be able to tell that God's presence was gone um, because all of a sudden, the whole earth just went to hell in a handbasket all the like are we so innately broken is there literally nothing good we can do apart from god or is it that god's presence even in people that aren't christians if they do something good if they reach out and love their neighbor if they do something inherently godly with their life even though they're not a christian and they're perhaps an atheist like would we then say that, well, God is still working through them. They're just not aware of it because it has to be that way because they're a human and otherwise they wouldn't have the capacity for goodness. Like, right. And when you say it that bluntly, I feel like there is a, I, I just kind of take issue with it also. It's like, really? A, a human has no capacity for compassion or goodness apart from a divine being mm-hmm. like it just it's hard for me to buy that right well and here is why i think this question is not helpful the question am i broken first is a yes or no question and if you've listened to any of our podcasts <laughs> so far you know that we're not the biggest fans of yes or no questions but also we've talked often about the importance of having questions that draw us to action or call us to action. And here is where I see that failing in this question. And the best, the best way I can think of to explain it 
is through an analogy. So imagine that I'm a professional football player and I get into a terrible accident that, that I causes can't imagine. me to be paralyzed from the neck down. Oh, I got dark. So at this point, like, I could say my body is literally broken. And so, so I could, like, go to the team's weight room every day, but what would be the point? Like, I can't physically lift any weight. Like, I could go to the track every day, but what would be the point? I can't, I can't run. It, that would be a waste of my time. But also imagine the reverse. Imagine that my coaches, my trainers, the sports scientists, they say, you, like, you are literally a perfect athlete. There isn't a single thing you could do to get any better than you already are. Well, then the same thing could be said. Why go lift weights if I cannot mm. possibly get any stronger? Why go run if I cannot get any faster? Why do drills if I can't throw or catch any better? And I think that that's what this question leads to when we say, am I broken? Well, if the answer is yes, then to some extent, you just accept that reality of, well, that's fundamentally how but if the answer is no, then the same thing could be said. Well, if I'm not broken, if there's nothing wrong with me, then why attempt to be better in any way? Yeah. It, earlier when you were talking about why it's not helpful and you said it's yes or no, and you said we like questions that lead to action, I thought in my head, this is a, actually a question that leads to inaction. And it's exactly the opposite of the kinds of questions that we like and it leads to inaction exactly for the reasons you just said. And I would say it's because of the, the first example more than the second. Because I doubt many people hear that question and go, no, I'm perfect. You know, everybody hears that, am I broken, and go, um, yeah. I actually think when you look at our world, though, a lot of times the, the opposite is true. That the overwhelming message is you are perfect exactly the way you are. Well, see, I agree. I guess what I was saying is I think when you ask that of yourself, am I broken? Nine times out of ten, most people are going to say, yes, I am broken. But they're going to put the best face forward to the world. And the world is going to tell you, no, you're perfect. Like society is working extra hard to overcome, I think, our individual sense of insecurity. Does that make sense? I, I, th uh, I think culture, I think the reason there's almost a disconnect and like you both are saying different things, but I agree. It's because our culture will say like, yeah, most people will say, yeah, you know, the world's broken. I'm messed up. I'm not perfect. But then the world preaches this almost complacent complacency of like, I'm not perfect and that's okay. I'm okay in my imperfection rather than saying, you know, like <laughs> I'm imperfect, but there are redeemable aspects, a part of me that I can lean into and that I, I am, I am not judged for my imperfection, but I am called to live higher. There's the disconnection of like, there's almost like, Oh yeah, you're horrible. 
okay, I at least I recognize I'm horrible and I'm just going to lean into it and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And here's here's where I feel like um this question can be turned a little bit because it may not it may not ever be helpful. But I think the reason it's not helpful, the kind of the key is we equate this word broken with our worth. And to admit that I'm broken, I think gets equated to people as I'm worthless. Right. And going kind of psychological for a second, I think it's not helpful because the more we dwell on our brokenness, our faults, our failures, or our inherent worth and feeling worthless inherently, I think that does something to your brain chemistry that causes you to act differently, not only in your own mental inner dialogue with yourself and your emotions toward yourself, but it's got to then bleed into how you treat others and how you live day to day mm-hmm. with, the, you know, thinking not only am I worthless, but everybody else is too. Yep. And for some, they find solace in religion. Oh, but Jesus has saved me. Great. But others who don't find Christianity or religion, like that must be a road that leads to some real unhealthy mental places and possibly even like suicide or suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety. Yeah, I agree because I've come to realize that language is really important. And so my wife for a season of her life was an ABA therapist, which means that she did a lot of one-on-one work with children on the autism spectrum. And one of the things that they communicate, but it's, I've seen this lots of places, is that you don't say, oh, that's an autistic person. You say they are a person with autism because we are defined by our personhood. We're defined by our humanity, not by the fact that that person happens to have autism. And I think that's true with anything. I think that there is a big difference in how you view yourself when you say, I am experiencing anger versus I am angry. Mm. And I think in this case, there's a big difference between saying, I'm experiencing brokenness or things aren't the way that they should be versus saying I am broken. That's who I am. That's how I'm defined as a person. Yeah. Words have a lot of power and it's almost like the psychological equivalent of you are what you eat (laughs) is that you are what you call yourself and identify with. And you see that in school, like how many of us went to public school and we knew that kid who was deemed the troublemaker. And then so often they're told like, oh, you're just a bad kid. You're a bad student. You're 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 no good. You don't pay attention. And, and they almost take it on and wear it like a badge. Yeah, I am the bad kid. And they start acting mm-hmm. out even more because everyone around them just says this is who you are. But no one stops and says, no, 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 no. These are things you are doing, but you are better than this. Yeah. And like. And for me, when I watch parents, I'm really um, impressed by parents who, when their kid messes up, doesn't go, 
oh, why are you this way? Why are you, you know, a troublemaker? But instead go, you are, you are not a troublemaker. You're acting like one. But what you are is you're this, you're a Drake. Drakes aren't troublemakers, you know, like you are called to be something more. And if maybe in the Christian community, if we can stop leaning into the brokenness as a label and maybe address like, yeah, there is brokenness. We are broken, but it's not our identity. And we lean into it as more something that happens, but we come to identify ourselves through Christ, which is what the New Testament is constantly hitting us over the head with. And we're dodging it because we don't want to accept it. Well, to be fair, bringing some, some balance, like there is a doctrine of the church called original sin. And I think some people arrive there um, with best of intentions, trying to honor scripture of saying, you know, it seems to say in these certain scriptures um, and my interpretation of them seems to indicate that from birth, we are inherently sinful. And I, I understand that. I don't think we should completely knock, you know, a whole group of people that take that theological position. I think we're more trying to point out that that line of thinking may not be helpful if you start equating your sinful state with your inherent worth as a person. Right. Well, I think that that, with you saying that, we have to do something that maybe we should have done at the beginning, but we can do it now. What do we even mean by the word broken? Like, how are we defining that? And I think, I think that our response to that is going to prove this is, again, why this is not a helpful category. But right. how, how, how are we defining broken? Yeah, you said it at the top that um, there's a disconnect and that people, you said it depends on how you view that word. And gosh, I think there's a lot of different ways. I think the student you referred to at the beginning when they said broken was struggling with, you know, their inherent value as a person and their self-confidence. I think that school of theological thought I mentioned with original sin see brokenness just as a state of sinfulness kind of like what we allude to earlier that without God um, there's no hope for people to to show goodness I mean it says in the scripture there is none who is good not even one Mm -hmm. Um, and there might even be more camps that when they hear that word broken they just hear like yeah I just mess up here and there yeah, one I would add to that, I've also heard people use that in response to the existence that they now have because of the actions of another. So someone uh, did yeah. something to really to really harm me or hurt me, and so now because of that, like I'm broken. Um, but, but I've also even heard that used like in, in a spiritual sense to where they're not just saying that as someone did this to me, but because of what that person did to me, I am now doing certain things that further show I'm broken. 
And so it's still a way that they view themselves. And but it was caused by an external experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing all this together is because I hear what you're saying about a state of sinfulness. And yeah, there's no way I can look at myself or look at our world and not agree that we are sinful. So then let's say that. Because I feel like that term brokenness communicates so many more things about your worth and your value and your personhood than saying I'm sinful does. Right. And for me, the issue is less about (laughs) I don't like this word and more I don't like the way this word is being used. And so even if you substitute broken with a different word like fallenness or sinfulness, I think the church has started to use it in a way that leans more into I am identified and my self-worth is boiled down to broken, sinful, fallen, wretched, whatever, and not, well, as a Christian, at my core is the work of Jesus, which in the New Testament is everywhere. And what's strange is that as Americans, we should know this. It's, what is it? Like, we have been endowed by our creator with these certain un alienable right you know life liberty pursuit of happiness and then that's the other irony is we wrote that as americans and then there were a bunch of asterisks that said well if you're a male and you're white and you own land and you own land and it's like almost in the church in america there's been this disconnect between like we say things like we've been endowed by our creator with these certain rights but at the same time we inflict uh hate and prejudice and racism upon other people and it's like well not those people And then even when we look in the mirror, we go, well, I'm just wretched. I'm just broken. I'm just sinful. And that's all I am. And I I think that's at the heart of this discussion when we use the word broken is, are we talking about a reflection of the way we act and the ways in which we fall short? Or are we talking about our identity at our core? Yeah. I mean, we've got a lot of like going, you talked about when you know the birth of our country and they were writing um our constitution and but if you go back even further like theologically think of like the pilgrims the puritan era think about john edwards and Mm -hmm. sinners in the hands of an angry god like that's that's the shoulders we're standing on theologically at this point and i feel like there's just a in the same way that there's tons of baggage that we still feel to this day from the slavery era and from racism and the civil rights movement, we're still feeling theological echoes of that Puritan era too, of this idea of inherent sinfulness and being fallen. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've just got to continue to unpack all that stuff and to really make sure we're, we're like making sure that's what scripture actually says. Right. It just wasn't an interpretation. Yeah. I'd like to run with that, Dan, of what does scripture say? Because I think that there's one more piece to the definition of brokenness. We haven't necessarily explicitly said yet that I think leads us to the next important part of this conversation and probably the most important piece of why I responded to this person the way I did. But in our definition, we said a lot about how this term brokenness causes us, to, causes us to view ourselves. But I think the other piece of that is we also use 
that as a way to describe how God views us. Mm. That we typically say, well, God sees me as broken. And I just, I, I'd love for you to tell me what you guys think, but I just feel, feel like the death and resurrection of Christ really beg to differ with that statement. He saw some sort of worth in us to be hung on a cross and die for the sake of us all. Yeah, well, and no. the question being, A, if, if we are created in the image of God, and upon creating humans, God says this is very good. The first question is, was that ever a good term to use, broken, in regard to our humanity? But even if the answer is yes, my next thing would be, but doesn't, doesn't Jesus change all of that to where our status is no longer labeled broken? For me what you just said about taking it back to the garden of Eden. Um, it brings up again, that doctrine of original sin did Adam and Eve's sin, did their fall bring sinfulness and fallenness into humanity innately from birth. Now, every other human that was born carries that mark of sin, that stain of sin all the way back to the beginning. And I think it's important because theologically that's been the position of the evangelical church, maybe not inherent original sin. You might fall in different places, but this idea that without Jesus, our sinful state leaves us needing a savior. And so if you take away that innately sinful state, then does that take away our need for a savior? Um, or does just our sinful actions create that? But then the second piece of it is, I read a book recently that I really liked because the author put forth this idea that we should read all of Scripture through the lens of Christ. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And if that's true... And if Jesus was with God in the beginning and was the agent of creation, then you can look through scripture and see Jesus between the lines, if that makes sense, reading it through the lens of Christ. And if you look at his life and the inherent worth and value he gave to all people, then it just makes a lot of sense to me that... If you look at the way Christ viewed people, you get a good sense of how God views people. And that's inherently worth dying for, worth loving, putting that person above their sinful state. Look at how Jesus interacted with the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? These, who condemns you? No one, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, when he when he eats with tax collectors and, and <coughs> has, you know this community with prostitutes, what he's doing is he's making a social political statement saying, I am giving these people worth just by being around them. He is validating them as human beings, as people worth love and affection. And so for me, if we just keep saying, well, no, at our core is irredeemable brokenness. 
I just go, well, there's some sort of disconnect because God did not treat us like at our core is irredeemable brokenness. And that's not me saying, well, then, well, then we're perfect and we don't need a savior. That's saying, no, we mess up. We're autonomous. We make choices that oftentimes are wrong, that we're messed up. We have junk. But at our core, I think, is the fact that we have been endowed by our creator with his image. Right. I love all that, but I'd like to push this this conversation to an even to an even further extent in taking the even next difficult step from what you guys are saying. I think what we're communicating about worth and who we are at our core is is an important conversation. I also think a most people would be willing to go with us there. I'd like to take another step further and see if you guys... Basically, what you're saying is we're not being controversial enough. (laughs) I love it. So, the, the way that I think the term righteous is defined in a biblical sense would be one piece... So that is right living. Uh, And and the other piece of that, I think, has a lot to say about our status with God. We're called to to be righteous. Righteousness describes right living and right relationship when it comes to the way we live and the way that God views us. There are, there's a lot in the New Testament that just flat out says, because of Jesus, God now views us as righteous in his sight. And so that doesn't mean that we don't sin, but I think that you can even make an argument against the claim for those who are now in Christ, does God even still view us as sinful? Right. And I think there are certain selections of the New Testament that if I were to tweet or post on Facebook without quotations and kind of put it off as my own words, I'd get like heresy alerts because there are some parts of the New Testament that are just like, that's too good to be true. And like, actually, before this, I was reading uh, the book of Colossians, which I love the book of Colossians because I think it's just Paul being like, guys, everything I'm about to say is unbelievable and it's too good to be true, and none of y'all are going to read it because it sounds like heresy. But he, he says, uh, um, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself, speaking of Christ, through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. He's talking about how God sees the church. And then he says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. And how well has the church done that? I, and I think the reason we're talking about this is we haven't. We have not stood firm in that truth that we are through Christ in his presence. And when God looks at us, he sees someone who is holy and blameless. blameless. But that's not, you know, us to be like, well, now we have no accountability I mean, Paul is constantly making that point, like, well, this doesn't mean then that you keep on sinning. He's saying that God is calling you into this. 
he sees you as this. And he's almost like a father to his son who's misbehaving going, hey, hey, we don't do that. Right. Yeah. It goes back to your troublemaker analogy. Like anyone who has ever met Dan knows that Dan is like one of the nicest people you could ever come into contact with in your life. Does that mean that there's never, ever been one time that Dan has been mean? Probably not. Yep. He babysat me a lot. (laughs) I have many examples. But even if Dan has been mean a time or two, that does not is, is as a mean person. It's the exact opposite. And so to say that we are viewed as righteous, holy, blameless in God's sight is not to say that means none of us ever sin, none of us are ever guilty of sin. But I do think it has quite a bit to say about whether or not God views us as broken and sinful. Right. Um, N.T. Wright, in his book, his uh, biography of Paul, does a lot with this whole conversation in really breaking down Paul as an individual, as a Pharisee of Pharisees coming from his Jewish roots and then not becoming a Christian. One of his biggest points in the book is that Paul actually saw the way of Jesus, the Jesus movement as an extension of his Judaism. Um, And he's trying to, you know, going from where he started to then becoming the apostle to the Gentiles, opening the door for the rest of the non-Jewish world to accept the love of the one God. He, N.T. Wright does a great job of explaining those passages where Paul is talking about, no guys, we've been declared righteous because so much of the Jewish faith is trying to obey the law and be righteous right? To, to follow all the rules and live perfectly. And in doing that, then we can become righteous through right living. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Through Jesus, the game has changed. We are now declared righteous, not by works of the law, but by the one who has the authority over death to declare us something other than what we are. And I just think it's so profound to to try and think about that time going from a Jewish understanding of obeying the law and what I do is who I am to then trying to transform your mind, which is why I think he talked a lot about that as well. Renewing our mind, transforming our mind to this idea of, no, we, we are already declared righteous. We've been given a new identity, new clothes to clothe ourselves in Christ. Again, not to say that we shouldn't try to be better, shouldn't do good works, not that we shouldn't, um, you know, try to live without sin as much as possible, but to understand finally that what we do or don't do is not what's going to be our ticket in. You know, it's not like we have to do so many things before God will love us. It's because we're loved already. Now we need to show that love to others. I think it's it's profound, and I think you're right, Andrew, that we've been missing it.
So for me, if I'm going to think of a better question, I I have to start with, you know, what's wrong with the, the question? And we, we've addressed that thoroughly. But ultimately, for me, it comes down to the question puts all the focus on the wrong thing. Mm. And so, so often we quote Paul in saying things like you were dead in your trespasses, you know, like you were following the the spirit of this age, you know, and you were captive by sin. And we kind of just stop there. For like all have sinned and yeah. short of the glory of God for all of sin. It's like, OK, well, that's it. You know, there's a big old period there and I'm broken. I'm sinful. But we always miss that part where Paul goes, but. But through Christ, God has lifted you up to sit with Christ in the heavenly realms. And then Paul even says crazy things like, like, you are God's masterpiece, that through Christ, God is making you new. And he's using the Greek word for like a piece of art. He says, you are a masterpiece and that you, through the renewing of Christ's work in you, are being made into like this artwork that it's almost like God's going to show off. Which think about the the Greek world that he was speaking to when they like think of the masterpieces we think of today mm-hmm. that are from that time period. Yeah. I feel like it gives that word even more weight. And so I think whatever questions we ask have to shift the focus from the, you were dead in your trespasses because that's true, but it becomes wrong when we stop there and we have to shift the question to, well, what is, what are we becoming in Christ? You know, and so maybe that's maybe that's where I would start. What are we becoming in Christ? Yeah. Or what is Christ turning us into? What I was going to say is a lot of um, a lot of these episodes, we I feel like we land on a question. I wonder if this one almost needs to be a progression of questions, because I agree with you, Andrew. What that came into my mind is like the first. The, the first question you have to ask is, like, how does God view me? Or who does God say I am through Jesus? Or how did you word it? Um, who am I becoming in Christ? Right. Yeah. And I think that's the first question we have to ask. But then I think that there's got to be a follow-up question, too, that says, what popped into my mind is once we answer that question, what does it look like for me to live into that? Yeah. Cause instead I think you're right. We're focusing on the wrong thing when we just say, well, I'm broken. I accept that. Well, I think scripture says, God says a very different thing about who you are and you're invited to live into who God says you are. Yeah. And I think even, and I think even we need a question that is a little bit more universal because I do think there's a problem when Christians focus solely on like their past or their, their sinful actions and they define themselves that way. But I would like to also say that I I am uncomfortable even pointing to a non-Christian and being like, well, they're broken because I think at the heart of all people that there is an image of the divine in all of us. And I think the scriptures speak to that and Paul in the book of Colossians uses a lot of universal language, which is that he's, he's making all things new that Christ reconciled himself to all things, to all people. And that even if people aren't choosing that at their heart, there is this ability to 
welcome Christ or if, you know, like if you don't want free will, you know, Christ to interject into their lives and that, you know, so maybe a question like, um, what does Christ call us to? So that could include people who haven't even accepted Jesus yet, which is sonship, you know, daughtership, that Christ calls all people to be sons and daughters of God, and that there is that ability inside all of people. Yeah, piggybacking off of that, um, I what's going on in my head, like this might be a weird way to phrase it, but I think it's succinct and it sums up what we've been saying. And it builds off this other thought I've been having. I've wanted a place to interject this idea, and I think this is the the time. But um, also in a book I've been reading recently, I can't remember if it's the N.T. Wright one on Paul or a different one, but um, somebody introduced this idea, which I really like, which is that, um, you know, Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, and he actually gives two. Mm -hmm. And he says it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your... And he says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And this author is like, could it be that the only true way to love God is by loving others? That in the since God is love, in the act of loving others, the, the love we show to them that is between us as humans is God. And that God then is manifest in the love we show to one another. And that might sound weird. I just an out there idea a little bit, but I, I really like it mm -hmm. because it's this idea that we can be love to other people. And in that we can show God to other people. We can, you know, being a Christian is a little Christ, right? Like we can be Jesus to other people. Like there's that famous quote, you know, you might be the only Jesus somebody ever sees. You might be the only Bible verse they ever read the way you live. Right. And so my suggested question might sound a little weird. Oh, Bob Goff talks about this and everybody always too. It's this idea of being love. So maybe a better question could be instead of, am I broken? Could you ask, am I love and not, am I loved? But am I love? Like, am I showing love to everyone around me? Is love exuding from me, from deep within me? Am I love to the people around me? Right. I just feel like the church needs to, we all need to step up our game in the way we communicate to each other. And that words have power and that we have the the ability to speak life into people or to speak death into people. And I think unintentionally, a lot of this broken language is speaking a lot of death and brokenness into people. And that by saying this, we are, we are through this almost incarnation of the word broken. We are just becoming what we're saying, you know, and I actually had a phone call the other day with a friend who has been really lonely and alone and really has gotten into certain theologies that are all about wretchedness and brokenness. And I'm just seeing it eat him, eat him alive. And he's constantly calling us, apologizing for things he thought he did wrong and pleading for forgiveness from us. And I just had to stop him the other night and be like, God loves you. Like, stop trying to keep score with your own sins because God's not. 
you know? And so when I think of this question, that's what I think of is so many people are whipping themselves for all of their faults and their brokenness. And instead we need to remember that at our core is this call to sonship to be a son or or daughter of God. And that like the, the two sons in the parable of the prodigal son, like both of them forgot that, that very fact. They both forgot they were sons. And one was out into the brokenness and sinfulness of the world, rolling around in it. And the other one was at home playing Pharisee, Mm. keeping score. And both of them forgot that at their core, that their identity is the fact that they are sons and everything the father has is theirs. And it's like, I think as a church, we need to lean into that and not so much that, well, I'm a wretched sinner. No, it's you were dead in your trespasses. You were, but Christ has made you or God has made you a masterpiece. I think in the church's goal to try and proselytize and evangelize to all people, we get this idea that even not like non-Christians are so dead in their sin that we just need to come save them, that we need to go save them. And, and everybody always, Bob Goff says something I thought was so profound. And he, he met a limo driver and he befriended him in the short time he was with him and heard all about his life and asked him questions and learned that he'd been with his girlfriend for 10 years and they lived together. And at the end of their conversation, he gave him a hug and he said, you are a rock star. You are worth love. I think you're amazing. And you were a great driver, gave him a hug and went to his event. And he said, what I didn't say was you're living in sin with your girlfriend and you're a broken person because he said, our job is not to remind people that they're broken and to save them. Our job is to show them love, show them the love of Jesus and let Jesus save them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think goes... to that and to remind them who they are. Exactly. He reminded the guy who he was, um, as inherently valuable as a human being worth the blood of Jesus spilled for him. And instead of pointing out all the flaws and the sin and the brokenness in the guy's life, he affirmed him as a human and showed him love. And hopefully in doing that, we can point people to the Jesus that saves. Right. We've had a lot to say, and I think it will be helpful for whoever is listening. Shout out to you, mom and dad, because I know you guys are listening to recap what our better questions were. And so for me, I think a better question, a more helpful question is what or how am I being changed through Christ? What is Christ doing within me? And then I added... I think that once we answer that question, the next question is to consider, how am I living into that? How am I living into the image of God? How am I living into this name and this label that Christ gives me? 
To which I added, instead of asking, am I broken, we could ask, am I love? Or translation, am I being and showing love to the people around me? And I shared that because I really think you can only show love if you are at a place mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually where you feel that love for yourself from from God. So I think that's a good question to evaluate where you're at and then to go into action to show love to others. So may we all stop digging into our own brokenness and pursue those questions instead. So we talked a lot about some scriptures that start with the fallenness, the sinfulness, the brokenness of humanity that most people just read half of or one verse out of a section. And so we wanted to take some time just to read some verses where, yeah, they start with our sinfulness, but the writer, you, I think most, if not all of these are Paul, says, but, um, and then goes on to describe the real way that God sees us or our true standing with God. And we want to share those with you. I'll just start with Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, period. There is a period right there. That's the end of 23. But then 24 says this, but they are declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. They are declared righteous. And Ephesians 2 starts off like this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, period. And a couple verses later, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And then for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So Colossians 1, you were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Romans 3, before the passage Dan read, starting with verse 10, Paul reminds the people that as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. But in verse 21, Paul reminds that but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Dang. Here's one from Romans 7. He says, In my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this body that is subject to death? 
He says, so then I, in my mind, am a slave to my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And then it says, but therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free, set me free from the law of sin and death. And all God's people said, Tacos. Hey, oh, <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Better Questions podcast. As always, these questions are meant to be a starting point that we hope you keep running with. And as always, these questions are meant to call us into action and to bring unity to the church. If you like the Better Questions podcast, you like what we're doing, please uh, don't forget to share the link to this episode. You can find it on iTunes or anywhere else where you listen to podcasts. You know what's not broken? The iTunes rating system. (laughs) Drop by and leave us five stars. Thank you again so much. We are so thankful for you, our listeners, and uh, we will see you next week for the last episode of season one.